Chapter Thirteen of the Mystery of the Boule Cabinet by Burton Egbert Stevenson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Distinguished Caller. It was shortly after I reached the office next morning that the office boy came in and handed me a card with an awed and reverent air, so at variance with his usual demeanor that I glanced at the square of pasteboard in some astonishment. Then I confess. An awed and reverent feeling crept over me also, for the card bore the name of Sereno Hornblower. That name is quite unknown outside the legal profession of the three great cities of the East, New York, Boston, and Philadelphia. For Sereno Hornblower has never held a public office, has never made a public speech, has never responded to a toast, has never served on a public committee, has never, so far as I know, conducted a case in court or addressed a jury he has never in a word figured in the newspapers in any way and yet his income would make that of any other lawyer in the country look like thirty cents for sereno hornblower is the confidential attorney of most of our best families he has held that position for years and it is said that no case placed unreservedly in his hands ever resulted in a public scandal he accepts clients with great care. He has steadfastly refused the business of Pittsburgh millionaires, remunerative as it was certain to be. But he seems to take a sort of personal pride in keeping intact the reputation of the old families, even when their scions embark in the most outrageous escapades. If you are descended from the Pilgrims or the Patroons, Mr. Hornblower will ask no further recommendation. His reputation for tact and delicacy is tremendous, and yet those who have found themselves opposed to him have never been long in realizing that there was a most redoubtable mailed fist under the velvet glove. Altogether a remarkable man, whose memoirs would make absorbing reading, could he be persuaded to write them, which is quite beyond the bounds of possibility. I had never met him either professionally or personally, and it was with some eagerness that I told the office boy to show him in at once. Sereno Hornblower did not look the part. His reputation led one to expect a sort of cross between Uriah Heep and Sherlock Holmes. But there was nothing secretive or insinuating about his appearance. He was a bluff and hardy man of middle age, rather heavy-set, fresh-faced and clean-shaven, and with very bright blue eyes, evidently a man with a good digestion and a comfortable conscience. Had I met him on Broadway, I should have taken him for a ripe and finished comedian. There was about him an air which somehow reminded me of Joseph Jefferson. Perhaps it was his bright blue eyes. It may have been this very appearance of blessed sincerity and honest downrightness which accounted for his success. We shook hands, and he sat down and plunged at once, without an instant's hesitation, into the business which had brought him. Looking back at it, understanding, as I do now, the delicate nature of the business, I admire more and more the bluff readiness, though the more I think of it, the more I am convinced that he had thought out definitely beforehand precisely what he was going to say. The man who can carry through a carefully premeditated scene with an air of complete unpremeditation has an immense advantage. Mr. Lester, he began, I understand, that you are the administrator of the estate of the late Philip Vantine. 
"'Our firm is,' I corrected. "'But you personally have been attending to his business?' "'Yes.' "'He was a collector of old furniture, I believe.' "'Yes.' "'And on his last trip to Europe, from which he returned only a few days ago, he purchased from Armand and son of Paris a bull cabinet?' I could not repress a start of astonishment. "'Are you acting for Armand and son?' I queried. "'Not at all. I am acting for a lady whom, for the present, we will call Madame X. The thought flashed through my mind that Madame X and the mysterious Frenchwoman might be one and the same person. Then I put aside the idea as absurd. Serena Hornblower would never accept such a client. Mr. Vantine did buy such a cabinet, I said. And it is in your possession. There is at his residence a Boule cabinet which was shipped from Paris, but only a few hours before his death. Mr. Vantine assured me that it was not the one he had purchased. You mean that a mistake has been made in the shipment? That is what we supposed, and a cablegram from Armand and Son has since confirmed it. Mr. Hornbower pondered this for a moment. Where is the cabinet which Mr. Vantine did buy? he asked at last. I have no idea. Perhaps it is still in Paris, but I am expecting a representative of the Armands to call very soon to straighten things out. Again my companion fell silent and sat rubbing his chin absently. It is very strange, he said finally. If the cabinet was still at Paris, one would think it would have been discovered before my client made inquiry about it. There are a good many things which are strange about this whole manner, I supplemented. Would you have any objection to my client seeing this cabinet, Mr. Lester? It was my turn to hesitate. Mr. Hornblower, I said finally, I will be frank with you. There's a certain mystery surrounding this cabinet which we have not been able to solve. I suppose you have read of the mysterious deaths of Mr. Vantine and of an unknown Frenchman, both in the same room at the Vantine house, and both apparently from the same cause? He nodded. Do you mean that this cabinet is connected with them in any way? He asked quickly. We believe so, though as yet we have been able to prove absolutely nothing. But we are guarding the cabinet very closely. I should not object to your client seeing it, but I could not permit her to touch it, not at least without knowing why she wished to do so. You will remember that you have told me nothing of why she is interested in it. I am quite ready to tell you the story, Mr. Lester, he said. It is only fair that I should do so. After you have heard it, if you agree, we will take Madame X to see the cabinet. Very well, I assented. He settled back in his chair, and his face became more grave. My client, he began, is a member of a prominent American family. A most prominent family. Three years ago, she married a French nobleman. You can, perhaps, guess her name but I should prefer that neither of us utter it. I nodded my agreement. This nobleman has been both prodigal and unfaithful. He has scattered my client's fortune with both hands. He has flaunted his mistresses in her face. He has even tried to compel her to receive one of them. I am free to confess that I consider her a fool not to have left him long ago. At last, her trustee interfered for her father had been wise enough to place a portion of her fortune in trust. They paid her husband's debts, placed him on an allowance, and notified his creditors that his debts would not be paid again. I had by this time, of course, guessed the name of his client. Since these details 
had long been a matter of public notoriety, and, I need hardly say, listened to the story with a heightened interest. The allowance is a princely one, Mr. Hornblower continued, but it does not suffice Monsieur X. No allowance would suffice him. The more money he had, the more ways he would find of spending it. So he has become a thief. He has taken to selling the objects of art with which his residences are filled, and which are really the property of my client, since they were purchased with her money. About two weeks ago, my client returned to Paris from a stay at her chateau in Normandy to find that he had almost denuded the townhouse. Tapestries, pictures, sculptures, everything had been sold. Among other things which he has taken was a Boule cabinet, which had been used by my client as her private writing desk. The cabinet was a most valuable one, but it is not its monetary value which makes my client so anxious to recover it. He paused an instant and cleared his throat, and I realized that he was coming to the really delicate part of the story. Monsieur X has had the decency, he went on more slowly, to, as he thought, retain his wife's private papers. He caused the contents of the various drawers to be dumped out upon a chair. But there was one drawer of which he knew nothing, a secret drawer known only to my client. That drawer contained a packet of letters which my client is most anxious to regain. Of their nature I will say nothing. Indeed, I know very little about them, for, after all, that is none of my business. But she has given me to understand that their recovery is essential to her peace of mind. I nodded again. There was really no need that he should say more. Only I reflected, a faithless husband has no reason to complain if his wife repays him in the same coin. My client went to work at once to regain the cabinet, continued Mr. Hornblower, plainly relieved that the thinnest ice had been crossed. She found that it had been sold to Armand and Son. Hastening to their office, she learned that it had been resold by them to Mr. Van Tyne and sent forward to him here. So she came over on the first boat, ostensibly to visit her family, but really to ask Mr. Van Tyne's permission to open the drawer and take out the letters. His death interfered with this, and in despair she came to me. I need hardly add that no member of her family knows anything about this matter, and it is especially important that her husband should never even suspect it. On her behalf, I apply to you, as Mr. Van Tyne's executor, to restore these letters to their owner. I sat for a moment, turning this extraordinary story over in my mind, and trying to make it fit in with the occurrences of the past two days. But it would not fit, at least, it would not fit with my theory as to the cause of these occurrences. For surely Madame X would scarcely guard the secret of that drawer with poison. Does anyone besides your client know of the existence of these letters? I asked at last. I think not, answered Mr. Hornblower, smiling dryly. They are not of a nature which my client would care to communicate to anyone. In fact, Mr. Lester, as you have doubtless suspected, they are compromising letters. We must get them back at any cost. As a matter of fact, I pointed out, there are always at least two people who know the existence of every letter, the person who writes it and the person who receives it. I had thought of that, but the person who wrote these letters is dead. Dead, I repeated. He was killed in a duel some months ago, explained Mr. Hornblower gravely. 
"'By Monsieur X?' I asked quickly. "'By Monsieur X,' said Mr. Hornblower, and sat regarding me, his lips pursed, as an indication, perhaps, that he would say no more. But there was no necessity that he should. I knew enough of French law and of French habits of thought to realize that if those letters ever came into the possession of Monsieur X, the game would be entirely in his hands. His wife would be absolutely at his mercy. And the thought flashed through my mind that perhaps in some way he had learned of the existence of the letters and was trying desperately to get them. That thought was enough to swing the balance in his wife's favor. I am sure, I said, that Mr. Vantine would instantly have consented to your client opening the drawer and taking out the letters. And, as his executor, I also consent, for whoever may own the cabinet, the letters are the property of Madame X. All this providing, of course, that this should prove to be the right cabinet. But I must warn you, Mr. Hornblower, that I believe two men have already been killed trying to open that drawer. And I told him, while he sat there, staring in profound amazement, of my theory in regard to the death of Philip Vantine and of the unknown Frenchman. I am inclined to think, I concluded, that Vantine blundered upon the drawer while examining the cabinet, but there is no doubt that the other man knew of the drawer, and also, presumably, of its contents. Well, exclaimed my companion, I have listened to many astonishing stories in my life, but never one equal to this, and you know nothing of this Frenchman? Nothing except that he came from Havre on La Touraine last Thursday, and drove from the dock directly to Vantine's house. My client also came on La Touraine, but that, no doubt, was a mere coincidence. That may be, I agreed, but it is scarcely a coincidence that both he and your client were after the contents of that drawer. You mean? I mean that the mysterious Frenchman may very possibly have been an emissary of Monsieur X. Madame may have betrayed the secret to him in an unguarded moment. Mr. Hornblower rose abruptly. He was evidently much disturbed. You may be right, he agreed. I will communicate with my client at once. I take it that she has your permission to see the cabinet, and if it proves to be the right one, that she may open the drawer and remove the letters. If she cares to take the risk, I assented. Very well. I will call you as soon as I have seen her, he said. In any event, I thank you for your courtesy, and he left the office. He must have driven straight to her family residence on the avenue, or perhaps she was awaiting him at his office. At any rate, he called me up inside the half hour. My client would like to see the cabinet at once, he said. She is in a very nervous condition, especially since she has learned that someone else has tried to open the drawer. When will it be convenient for you to go with us? I can go at once, I said. Then we will drive around for you. We should be there in fifteen or twenty minutes. Very well, I said. I'll be ready. I shall, of course, want to take a witness with me. That is quite proper, assented Mr. Hornblower. We can have no objection to that. In twenty minutes, then. I got the record office as soon as I could, but Godfrey was not there. He did not come on usually, someone said, until the middle of the afternoon. I rang his rooms, but there was no reply. Finally, I called up the Vantine house. Parks, I said, I am bringing up some people to look at that cabinet. It might be just as well to get that cot out of the way and have all the lights going. The lights are already going, sir, he said. Already going? What do you mean? Mr. Godfrey has been here for quite a while, sir, 
fooling with that cabinet thing. He has. And then I reflected that I ought to have guessed his whereabouts. Tell him, Parks, that I am bringing some people up to see the cabinet, and that I should like him to stay there and be a witness of the proceedings. Very well, sir, assented Parks. Everything quiet? Oh, yes, sir. There was two policemen outside all night, and Rogers and me inside. Mr. Hornblower's carriage is below, sir, announced the office boy, opening the door. All right, I said. We are coming right up, Parks. Goodbye. And I hung up and slipped into my coat. Then, as I took down my hat, a sudden thought struck me. If the unknown Frenchman was indeed an emissary of Monsieur X, Madame might be acquainted with him. It was a long shot, but worth trying. I stepped to my desk, took out the photograph which Godfrey had given me, and slipped it into my pocket. Then I hurried out to the elevator. End of chapter 13